Danny Mac Show with BK, getting you inside the cards and St. Louis sports on 101 ESPN. Thomas is out day to day, lower body. It's a lingering thing that's been going on for a little bit. <clears throat> but he's fought through it, and um, but now it's time he needs rest. So that was uh, Craig Berube talking about uh, yet another for the St. Louis Blues being out. So if Thomas is out tonight, Robert Thomas, he joins a long list of Blues that could be out for tonight. Robert Thomas, Tyler Bozak, Justin Falk, Jordan Bennington, James Neal is on IR, Clem Costin on IR, David Perron, upper body. All right, and you've got the Panthers coming in, one of the best teams in the NHL. That's BK. I'm Danny Mac. By the way, this is the final show of the Danny Mac show with BK as BK is a single man. That that is true. Yeah, and one of the last shows uh, with the two of us. Yes, as there was a... uh, uh, an announcement that uh, Tim McKernan and his crew are going to go to 105. Correct me if I'm wrong, and it's okay to say this, They're right? They're going to be part of Hubbard Radio Right, now. so yeah. they'll be all over the place. And um, our show, uh, not that I'm uh, planning on leaving, and this was my decision because we didn't think we'd be able to pull off a show if, indeed, we have baseball next year. And Fingers crossed, Dan. If, if indeed, Knock on that wood. <laughs> you know, we're traveling, which we do anticipate to travel. So we were trying to think, well, how are we going to do this? It would have been very tough, tough to pull off. So uh, by January 1, there'll be some changes in this 10 o'clock hour. And uh, it's been a lot of fun with you, BK. And not to say that we don't have uh, shows coming up at the end of this month. I do believe we do right before Christmas and then right after Christmas, a couple of short weeks, but uh, we'll be together and still doing this. And uh, last couple of years have been a lot of fun, man, a lot of fun. And, um, you know, it's it's right now with baseball shut down, essentially the lockout is happening. Not a lot going on. I mean, we can talk about maybe some moves that they make after that, but we're going to get into some different things by the end of the year, which is maybe a little college basketball. So Sloop plays Belmont tonight. We're going to visit with Chris May, the AD. You've got uh, sitting there with the Blues going against the Panthers tonight. So we can obviously talk a lot of hockey. And I mentioned in the crossover, there were some interesting notes in Derek Gould's chat at stltoday.com that we want to hit on as well. But to the greater point, um, this has been a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun with you. It's been a lifelong dream of me, of mine to just do sports radio and to be able to do it in a city like St. Louis, where obviously they love their baseball and to do it with, at least for my generation, Dan, the preemptive voice on the Cardinals. It's been unbelievable. Like just as an experience for me as a 29 year old dude, who's not yet married, will be here very soon. Um, this has been, it's been amazing, seriously. in in so many different ways, to be able to just come on the radio every day for an hour and to kick stuff around with the Cardinals, whether we agree, disagree, somewhere in between, um, it, it's been awesome. And I will, I would not trade the last, what, year and a half now for the world. Um, this has been an amazing experience. And like Dan said, I, let's make this very clear. This is 
Dan's choice. Yeah. <laughs> because in this business, you just never know. If it wasn't Dan's choice, Dan wouldn't be on the radio today. <laughs> so, Correct. It's same thing for me. Um, the 10 o'clock hour has been something that I've taken a lot of pride in. That For anybody that doesn't know how radio works, radio ratings can be very fluky and they can fluctuate a lot. They have not fluctuated since Dan's come in. Uh, they have been on a steady upward trajectory. He is a big part of our success. We are going to miss having him on the air every day. But from my understanding, we'll still have our baseball conversations, Dan, throughout sure. the season. Uh, it will just be limited to guest spots where I can tell you all of my crazy theories as that's opposed right. to the one-hour show that we've been doing. See, that's what I like, though, is that when you would come on, you'd have some crazy ideas. Not all the time. And I say this all the time. Um, <laughs> that uh, <laughs> BK loves to, you know, it's got great. I mean, you got four hours to film, my man. Right. It's talk radio, right? And so sports talk radio is passionate. You're very passionate about it. But um, the mutual admiration society here is that you're, <laughs> you're, you come in prepared. So I at least listen. That doesn't mean I'm going to agree. Sure. That's I at least ask. listen to you. Um, and that's the thing that I uh, get a kick out of because I, the one thing I, I think I've tried to do and have learned over being around the Cardinals now for 25 years, or in, let me just say this, in professional sports in general. And I started when I was very, very young, um, you know, as a teenager, and then eventually into pro sports in my early 20s, is that I would say to people like, man, why, why don't they just go do this? I got to go do this. Got to go do that. I mean, it's obvious you need to go do that. You know, and I, I have found that there are times Unless you're going to be like Steve Cohen and you're going to just say the hell with it and spend as much money as you want or in the days of George Steinbrenner and just go nuts and that's how they did it. Generally speaking, teams and GMs are pretty pragmatic in how they evaluate and they, they can be fairly slow on the draw. And that doesn't mean that we like it as a fan because I'm a fan first and foremost, whether I was in this world of sports or not. I'm like, man, that guy can't play. Get rid of him. Yeah. You know, and these guys are like, well, yeah, it makes sense. And I understand what you mean. And by the way, we need to go get this winger or we need to go get uh, a left-handed pitcher. And yes, you're right. However, I also have invested money in this young kid that I think is probably a year away. And to go get this player, it's going to cost us a million dollars. And oh, by the way, I, as the guy sitting in that chair, have to answer to those that give me a budget. And the other thing you don't know about is, hey, that guy, we've we've looked into him. And you're right, Dan, he's a really good player, but his elbow's barking in two years down the road. We're not sure he's going to be able to throw a pitch for us anymore. So, like, it's all of those things that yes. we don't know about behind the scenes as well sometimes. So, I, I try to take a pragmatic view, and I'm sure that it probably frustrates those at times that I do that. Now, there are other times I just go, get rid of the guy. <laughs> and go, some pull of, the trigger. Go some do of it. my favorite conversations I've ever had in life are the conversations I've had with Dan off air. It's, oh, yeah, it's those the are... absolute best. And it's just, it's a treat. And we brought many of them on the yes. air afterwards. Um, some of them not. Yeah. <laughs> and they will never see the light of day. But uh, it's it's been awesome, man. And I will say, um, I think we've gained a much greater understanding for each other over the last year as oh, well. I, of I think you do. I, I think you're awesome. I actually, I love listening to it because you do your work. You do your homework. It's not like just some guy that shows up and lets it rip. I mean, you give all the reasons that are wrong behind the scenes for your hot takes. So I'm like, okay, but at least I can listen to it. No, I, I'm giving you trouble. But, yeah, we, we have so much fun. 
and the, the, the conversations that we have behind the scenes are the beauties. They're the best. That's when my fandom comes out. It's great. Then I, I, then I start going nuts. I hope people understand when Dan says that if he gets a little cut on his arm, there's a little little red bird that, that pops out. <laughs> He's not kidding. That's true. I've watched it. It's happened. He, he had a cut the other day. It was a, a little paper cut on his finger. And I was like, Dan, what's that coming out of your, uh, your finger? You, you need a Band-Aid? He's like, no, no, no. Just let him get his wings. He'll fly away. That's right. <laughs> all right. All right, Dan. Cool. He doesn't fly south to the winter. He flies to, he looks for the, the goes nearest. to Jupiter. He, he goes He's to Jupiter preparing in the winter. for spring training, which right. will start on time this year. And then he comes up to uh, baseball heaven and finds a, a bat to perch on. That's what happens. You cut me, little birdies come out. It's you a know beautiful the, thing. You know all the announcers in the league, they know that. Like They're like, oh, here he comes, Mr. Redbird. Yep. And they're like, uh, you know, how was your offseason? I said, I had a, you know, I was cutting some wood the other day and i just i happened to cut my finger and it was amazing this little bird came out and tweeted <laughs> at me i did say when they were struggling in june the bird popped out and looked at me and said the hell with it and went back in <laughs> <laughs> i'm good i'm t- turning back around he said he said i'm always he said I'm, I'm i'm a little upset right now went back in me but when they had the 17 game winning streak little birdies were flying out oh, all over everywhere the yeah they, they were, were all over they were tweeting all over at dan <laughs> <laughs> the little birdies on twitter that were tweeting at dan previously with a gabby they weren't tweeting at dan quite as often no. during the month of uh september it was great <laughs> no. And then that Dodger series, that one game playoff, they were tweeting they came them. Back. This, the seventh inning, man, they were they were flying high. And then Chris Taylor stepped to the plate and they went back in and said, see you in Jupiter. I yeah. said, I'll see you then. Yeah. You know, it's all good. And then Stephen Matt signed and they were like, hey, this is pretty cool. Come out to play for a little it. while. And then, uh, you know, December. Yeah. It's well, cold. that's OK. I, I do. We do. You know, the lockout is happening right now. It's fine. Uh, I actually thought there'd be. How's, what's the way to put it? Like more consternation, maybe? Among, I mean, there's been no talks. It's it just, yeah, it's just like, okay, you know, and they got, and I think people feel like, okay, they got time to get this thing done, and they will. And we all like to think that they'll be smart in making sure that uh, everything gets done on time and love baseball. I, you know what I can't wait for, though? What's going to be fun is when they do come back, when, if and when, but they will at some point. Well, baseball, but that like two to three week period of all these guys that are still. How many guys are still out there? Among, I mean, hundreds. I mean, I, I was thinking. I like think it's like three hundred free agents. Yeah, like three fifty, and some are big names. And it was added to when they had the non tender deadline. So there yes. were a bunch of guys in that that area that will be legitimate signings in free yeah. agency as well. So I do wonder if a lot of guys are going to start looking at it if this thing drags on, and they say, you know, I. I'm not probably going to get that major league infight, so do I go to Japan? Do I go overseas? You know, just go make my money that way? I could see that happening. I could see a lot of guys doing that. I also wonder if some of the guys that have been posted from Japan, I wonder if they decide, you know what, I'll just do this again next year. Yeah. Like, I'll, I'll sign a one-year deal with my club here, and then I'll I'll go back over to Major League Baseball next year. You know, you know? That's a great point, because a lot of guys I've talked to that have done that um, all of them seem to come back. I mean, I've heard very few BK that when they go over there, they're like, man, my experience was terrible. Like I hated it. It was just, I was away from family. I, I was out of a, out of the country and it was awful. A lot of them say, man, I was treated like royalty when mm-hmm. I went over there. And yes, it was kind of hard the first couple of weeks figuring out what to eat, where to go, how to get around. But the teams like made it comfortable for me with either they put an interpreter with me or I had a driver for me or whatever. And I still made my money. I still worked on the things I needed to work on. I got better as a player. 
And then I really enjoyed it. Like, I loved being over there. I kind of embraced the culture. And I think that's what you have to do if you're a player like that. You just have to go in open-minded and say, look, I'm a fish out of water, and I'm going to try to make the best of this and make it fun. And that's what they do. And then guys say, I don't really want to go back and go into the grind of not having a job where I know I'm going to get the guarantee 800 to a million, million five, and have success and know I can compete at this level. And a lot of guys may do that. That's and a good point. Some guys make their career. They, like they can they can revamp their career by going over there for a little while. Miles Moklis is yes. a guy that you can talk about with that. Um, I've talked to Rex Hudler about this a number of times and his experience going overseas. He loved it. And, and Rex is the exact type of guy that you would expect. He would embrace it. To have, uh, have a lot of fun when he's in a culture that he doesn't know a whole lot about and he's embracing all of it. So that's the kind of thing that you would have to have over there. But it's, yeah, it can be a really good experience for some of these guys. So whether it's players that or maybe getting a minor league invite to camp that decide, you know what, it's better for me to go over to Japan for this year, just to have the guarantees, lock it in right now, or guys that were already over there that were planning to come back or planning to come over for the first time that decide, you know what, I'll do this again in 2022. I, I think we'll see some of that for sure. What do you think the Cardinals still have left to do? So if they came out tomorrow and they said, okay, we have a deal, business back on, um, I would think that they've got to get a reliever. I think that's the only like necessity I like their team right now. I think they need another reliever. If they went into the season with one more reliever, Dan, I would have them as the favorite for the NL Central. I, I do, too. Everything um, else is once for me. I, I think I, I would I, I would say a want for me would also be a veteran bat off the bench. Agreed. You know, I or DH, I, however I, you want to put I, that in there. And I understand that they could come in and say, hey, we have Nolan Gorman. We got Yepes. Uh, we got Lars Nupar, who I do anticipate will be the fourth outfielder. And we saw a little bit of that at the end of the year. So I don't go into the season going, that's a complete unproven, unknown. At least you saw a little bit of it. And, and he did fine. Um, and he had a, a hell of a Arizona Fall League. But I think, though, I would want a veteran reliever because I just don't know when I look at Hicks and where does Woodford fall into this? Where does Alex Reyes fall into this? I'm going in as Gallegos is my closer. Uh, I got the lefty McFarland coming back. I know I got Henesis Cabrera. I just want a reliever, though, with experience down there that and, and Ryan Helsley's coming back. You would have to anticipate. I, I just want an experienced guy. I, the guy I really like is Ryan Tapera. I just pulled him up. Yep. He was a guy that, in watching him at the beginning of the season with the Chicago Cubs, Andrew Chafin is another one, maybe. Another ground ball guy, throws strikes, had a great year last year. But Tapera is, to me, kind of the perfect fit for what you're looking for with the St. Louis Cardinals. So I would look at that. And then I have to look at a veteran coming off the bench. And I don't care if it's from the right or the left side. I would prefer a left-handed bat. Um, but a veteran is what I'm looking for, for first and foremost. Somebody that's been in that role, that knows what they're doing. And uh, and that would probably be the direction I'd go. I think I'm with you. I would love to get a guy like Ryan Tapera. Just a, a veteran reliever who could be seventh or eighth inning type of guy. So a high leverage situation player and who doesn't walk any batters that he goes up against. If you can find that guy, and Ryan Spare is a perfect name, I, I'm totally with you, Dan. By the way, he's 33 years old, so you would think it would yeah. be a short-term deal, and that's what I would be looking for You're on an relievers. Option, maybe a two-year deal. 100%. That's the kind of player that I think they're missing right now. Definitely need to acquire one of those, and then I'm with you on the bat. It, whether that be a left-handed outfield bat. That, you know, that guy, Jack Peterson, I, I've heard of him. I don't know. Or a right-handed hitter 
Who's you really like? good against righties. You know I love Matt Duffy and Josh Harrison. Those are my guys. They're going to be super cheap, one-year deals. They can help you on the middle love infield. Matt Duffy. The, I mean, they, they hit right-handed pitching really well. But it's, I read a thing this morning that said the Giants want to get Duffy. That makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That, and he's the kind of guy that the Giants would typically go after. Yep. He, he fits a specific role for a team, and he could be a leadoff hitter for you. Like, the Cardinals don't have an obvious leadoff candidate on their roster right now. Matt Duffy and Josh Harrison are that guy. They're the prototypical leadoff hitters, especially against right-handed pitching. So I would like to see something like that. It's not a necessity, but if you could do it, great. And the other thing is, like, if something appears that you didn't expect, if... Kyle Schwarber, the three-year, $60 million market doesn't appear for him, and he'll settle for a one-year deal. So did he come on? I'm in. I was was listening to you guys yesterday, and I think you were talking about it yesterday or Mm -hmm. uh, maybe last week. Is it three for 60 is what he's looking for? Is he on the record? That's what he wants, according to the Miami Herald. According to them, the the Marlins were talking with Schwarber's people before they signed Avisail Garcia, and the, the Schwarber camp is looking for three and 60 which seems to suggest it would come in at below that because typically you don't get exactly what you're looking for unless you've got like seven teams that are bidding on you. So I, I would think you could get them for like three and 55, something like that. That's something I would be very interested in. 208. What about a Brad Miller reunion? I'd That'd be, be up fine. for that. Um, so you guys thought the offense was good enough. Oh my God. No, um, but I like Juan Yepes and I like uh, Lars Newtbar and I like the possibility of Nolan Gorman being up within a month or so of the season. And, and I think that's what we're talking about mm-hmm. is that because I, I would just come back at this, this 618 or whatever it is. I, w- I would say, well, what do you want to do? You want to do something at uh, third? What about at first? You going to do anything in left, center, right, catcher? No. So then it's your middle infield. And if if somebody wants to have a fallback deal of some sort, reset their market, then Carlos Correa, you know, he's available. Trevor Story. Yeah. Then, okay, then we can talk. But until then, I'm dealing in reality. And so where can I immediately improve without having to spend $300 million? And it's probably my bench. And certainly the DH, if you have the DH. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Nelson Cruz wants to come here to St. Louis on a one-year, $12 million deal. Perfect. Great. Does the guy age? No. He's like 50 and still hitting bombs everywhere. Have you ever read about his sleep habits? No. Like He is all in on the sleep science stuff that's been kind of researched over the last five, ten years or so. And he he is like amazing with his recovery. And he's all in on nutrition and sleep and all of these different things. And apparently it's helped keep him in the best shape ever so you, you know teams now have put in beds into the clubhouse like yeah it's you know, amazing what they're doing now and they encourage the guys you get to the ballpark you feel anything go sleep yep you know it's part of the recovery and the cardinals actually went i think it was two years ago and they started asking teams of all various sports about recovery i mean they went out to like australian rules football and asked guys how are they recovering like what are some of the things that you're doing and one of the bottom lines of all these, now they all had different theories on nutrition and all that stuff, but sleep was enormous with all these teams, especially in the physicality of those sports, of making sure that's how guys recovered. Yeah, and that's part of the issue with some of the travel stuff, and that's why they've tried to limit more of the travel, especially in the NBA in recent years, was to help these guys get more recovery, help these guys get more sleep more often. It used to be, and when I was traveling, and I know we're going off on all these tangents, but I used to be with the, a lot of the different teams, and they would travel right away after a game. And I was fine with it because it got us back home, but it'd be four or five in the morning with a day off the next day. And I would always be like, why? I remember one time it was like 10 or 15 years ago. We went from L.A. at a night game and 
and uh, went to Detroit with an off day. And we flew overnight, got to Detroit. So it was like five or six in the morning. We were probably 30, 40 minutes away from, even with no traffic from the, the team hotel. And then we ran into traffic at rush hour. So then you got there and you got there at about like eight in the morning. And it's not that day that really messes you up. It's the day yep. after. And I never understood that. I thought, why not just take like a 10 o'clock in the morning flight, get there, have some sense of normalcy of a, a sleep pattern, which now teams are starting to do. So, BK, I was so ahead of the game. Yeah, you, of all people that I know, you're the one that I've always said, man, Dan is so great at getting all the sleep he needs. (laughs) He's so great at it. I actually slept last night. It felt pretty good. proud of you, man. Back to more of the Danny Mac Show with BK on 101 ESPN. Danny Mac Show with BK, broadcasting live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. All right, BK, I got a question for you. And again, we have the Blues and the Panthers pregame with Alex at six tonight. And listen to the game on 101 ESPN. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this. Does the NHL now have to provide cap relief for teams that get hit with COVID? They should. Yeah, I, I I just think that trying to maneuver that when you're you're being held to the standard of testing, and for the Blues, my understanding is now they're testing every day because they've been hit hard. Even though the I think the rule is every three days that if you know the beginning of the season is like every three days if you were part of the traveling party, but players specifically, coaches, head coach, staff, um, they're being tested every three days. I think now, and I could be wrong, but I think it's every day. So um, you're having guys, big guys that are out and you want to bring somebody up like the goaltending situation that you had the other day for the Blues and they can't because of incentives that are in a contract for a kid that's playing in Springfield. I I, I just think there's got to be a look at that and say we need to lax the rules somehow and be stringent on if it's a COVID situation, not just some, you know, well, guy had an upper body and now we want to bring up this kid and he, he gets an X amount of dollars if he plays in certain amount of games. I just think that you need to take a look at that just so you can put a competitive team, truly competitive team on the ice. So a website called Puckpedia um, puts together all the numbers on the cap sheets and all that stuff. They tweeted out yesterday, the Blues used the emergency roster exemption to recall uh, Lindgren after playing short one goalie for a game. They need to play short a skater for one game to use that roster emergency roster exemption to call up a skater with a cap hit of less than 850K. They will then carry zero cap hit. So uh, to get rid of the jargon for you, basically, apparently, according to this, the Blues have to play one game short, and then they'll be able to use this roster exception, the the emergency roster exception, exception where they could call up a skater. I just don't understand why that's necessary. Like If you're the NHL, what you should do is for every player that goes on the COVID list, you give that team $850,000 that they I can use as an agree exception. With that. Yeah. And then you at least keep the roster numbers correct. And if you get into a situation where, like the Blues, you've got, I mean, they have like $13 million on the COVID list right now, Dan. And that doesn't go away. Like right. that is still going towards the cap as opposed to the LTIR, which is where you can get rid of the money and it essentially disappears from your cap sheet until they return. 
That's all you got to do. Just say, hey, for every player that's on the COVID list, you get this $850,000 skater that's eligible to come up. That means that you can't bring up like if Vladimir Tarasenko or a player like that was had passed through waivers or whatever, and they're down in the AHL. You can't bring up that guy, but you can bring up somebody that's on an entry level deal that at least gives you a warm body. And so instead of having to use 17 skaters for a game, you could go with your full allotment of a roster. So I, I got pretty easy. I got to wonder, though, when they when they had this testing and everything, you, you weren't seeing like clusters of players going out. Right. So I got to wonder if the NHL at that time thought, well, we may have a player or two pop. But we're not going to have a situation like we have with the Islanders where half their team is out or the Blues in this situation where they've got a number of players that have been out and big name players and guys that make a lot of money. I got to wonder if they went that far and thought that way. I would like to think that they look at these things and exhaust every potential option that's out there and think about every scenario that could unfold. But I I wonder if they thought, man, is it going to get to this point? And then secondarily on that is did they think then that teams would somehow try to manipulate it? You know what I mean? Oh, sure they did. Because look at what the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Vegas Golden Knights did last year. The the way you avoid that, though, is pretty simple. You just say, hey, you can't call up the guy that's making $4 million or whatever. This is not getting rid of your cap issues. You still have those. Those exist. But you can bring up an entry-level deal. So for the Blues, for example, like a Steve Santini you could call up or the equivalent of that for your forward so, group. Let me let me ask you this, though. You have player X, and um, he's making a lot of money, gets hit with COVID, so now he's on that list. And you as the team go, and let's say he's playing horribly. But you as a team, so fl- I'm flipping this on you, and you sure. as the team say, you know, yeah, he's gotten through the 10 days and uh, we can say, though, he's still got some lingering effects. So we can just keep him away from the team here for by ourselves some more time without him because the player that replaced him is killing it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's still a, if that guy is killing it, it's I mean, it's an eight hundred fifty thousand dollar contract or whatever. You probably just keep him on the roster. Maybe um, as opposed to using using him as the exemption, because you're not actually like a lot of the owners. The reason why they wouldn't do that, Dan, especially if the player you're talking about is expensive because he's still costing you that money. You're still paying him his salary. It's not like this is a situation where you cut him, you bought him out or anything like that. It's against your cap, so it is limiting some of the other moves that you can make. And also, he's a guy that you're still paying, so you'd probably want him to go out there and produce. This becomes an ownership situation where, as you know, Dan, they want the contracts to play. They don't want to give it, they, they don't want to be paying him to do nothing. So I think this is a pretty simple fix for the NHL. I, I have to imagine this is something that they will look into and our text line mentions this as well from the 314 guys injuries will come as well if you make a team play with fewer players Agreed. absolutely this cut, and out of position you this, know you put a you put a defenseman up and and we've seen that sometimes guys find themselves out of position and in a vulnerable spot it becomes a health and safety issue for the players association where you say hey our guys are playing 25 minutes a night now as opposed to the usual 20 uh, this is a problem. We've got to be. We, we've got to tone this down a little bit. So I think they'll they'll fix this eventually. Three one one four says the product on the ice is suffering because no COVID relief, and I happen to agree with that. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, that's what you're wanting to get. You want the best players in the world on the ice, or the best that you can make it on the ice. And that's just a real general statement. Now I understand it can be complicated in how you do it, and there's cap ramifications as we're talking about here. But ultimately, you you need to have the, the best product on the ice. The best players in the world that you can find, put them in skates and get them a uniform, get them a sweater, and put them on the ice. Because really, that's what the, the appeal is to your fan base, is sure. trying to make this the best product you can.
in this, if this was something where it was avoidable, that'd be something different entirely. It's a yeah. different different conversation. We're all dealing with this in our everyday lives. Like sometimes there's just nothing you can do. You can take all of the correct precautions and suddenly, oh, test a positive. Yeah. Like, nothing you can do about that. And that's I, I think that's what most of these teams are dealing with right now. And if they're not, if they're just laughing at the rules and doing something otherwise, well, then you should punish that team. Then not because not for this, but take away draft picks, find them, do whatever you need to do. But based on all of our knowledge, that's not something that's taking place. I always enjoy the uh, chats with uh, Ben Fred and Derek Gould on STL today. There were some interesting ones, uh, questions and points made by Derek Gould yesterday uh, in his chat. Um, He was asked about who he thinks that the Cardinals may sign after the lockout. He said, quote, a reliever, possibly Tapera. We talked about him. Gisselman, that's Robert Gisselman, who has pitched as a starter reliever with the Mets, maybe both. Archie Bradley, another one. Though on the eve of the lockout, the Cardinals had not had any conversation with the representative for Archie Bradley. If you look at Gisselman, that's another guy that's got numbers that jump off the page in terms of strike throwing, ground ball percentage. And and that's clearly the market that the Cardinals want to swim in. They're trying to find guys. You don't need to be overpowering kind of against the grain of what we see in 2021, soon to be 22 of baseball, which is power. It's all about power, hitting for power, pitching with power. And and that's also a reason, by the way, that teams, and I was thinking about why have we gotten to be so young with relievers? And to me, it's pretty obvious. It's the young guys that are throwing 97 yep. to 100. And so that is what this game is all about. But as we also saw, you find guys like uh, McFarland that doesn't overpower you, but yet sinks it, gets ground balls. There's a place for him on this particular team. Now, if you had a poor defense behind him, I would say that's probably not the guy we're fishing for. We're looking for a strikeout guy. We're looking for a guy that can overpower you. I don't need that with the Cardinals, man. And so to me, Tapera, Gisselman, maybe even Archie Bradley, he's got some of those numbers that would jump at you too, make sense for St. Louis in their bullpen. Yeah, we said all year last year, I hope the Cardinals are learning the right lessons here, right? And then you would Throw hear strikes. some of, yeah, you'd hear some of the, the guys that people wanted them to go after. And I was like, did, did we learn nothing? Did we learn nothing from the first half of the season? Look back to June, for example. And then what happened in the second half of the season? Look to September, for example. What changed? Well, instead of having a lot of those young guys that were not throwing strikes that are more talented than the pitchers that they had in September, the the June rotation and bullpen was probably more talented than the rotation and bullpen that they had in September. I believe that to be true. And also the September rotation and bullpen was just better for this specific team at this time. John Lester, Jay Happ at the time in like July and into August, you had Wade LeBlanc, TJ McFarlane, Luis Garcia. They're just throwing strikes. They didn't have to get a ton of strikeouts, but when you have that defense behind you, you're going to be able to get through games. You're going to be able to eat those innings. You keep your bullpen fresher. All of these things are significant over the course of 162. It's not super sexy. You look back to that 2015 rotation, though. Some of those starts were not all that sexy, but guess what they had at the end of the year? One of the best rotation ERAs we had ever seen in the history of baseball. I'm not saying that it's going to be that next year, but they have the chance to be one of the best run suppression teams in baseball because they have a great defense. They have guys now that throw strikes and they should continue collecting those guys. So whether that be Gaselman, whether that be Ryan Tapera, or if there's somebody else on the market that they deem worthy of that, uh, that's the route that I would go. The other thing, Dan, that's important on these things, those pitchers are just cheaper. 
because most teams can't afford to play right. this way. They've got to go out and get the the guy that's throwing 98 to 100 to strike out everybody because their defense behind them stinks. They're hiding a third baseman at second base. They've got a guy at first who's probably a DH. They've got a guy in the corner outfield that's definitely a DH, and any time a ball's hit at him, it's an adventure. The Cardinals don't have to live that way. So put the ball in play. Get through these innings, and you'll be good by the end of the year. Interesting question here. He was asked about the catching situation, not for next year, but after Molina retires. And he said, a split job between Kisner and Herrera. Both of them will get starts at some point in the majors in the coming year, which I did find interesting. The current plan is for Kisner to get more starts earlier in the year, building off the schedule they established last uh, later this past year. Molina bought into that, but he won't miss any of the starts with Wainwright, <laughs> that's for sure. They're going to try and set that all-time record. Yeah, when, when Wayno's on the mound, you can guarantee that Yachty's behind the plate, barring injury. Kisner, by the way, um, is playing winter ball. And so he's trying to get more at bats. And the other thing about Herrera, I follow him, by the way, on Instagram. He always throws, shows out uh, his workout videos. Dude's a hoss, man. Yep. He's a strong, big kid. At Springfield last year, he had 231, 17 homers, drove in 63. His OPS was 753. Um, the other thing to look at, too, is that if you feel that Ivan Herrera is the guy moving forward, or Kisner, e- either or one. Or a combination. Or a combination. But one thing you can find is probably a backup in free agency that's got experience. Cardinals also have that in the minor leagues. And we saw that at the beginning of last season um, to where you get to the trade deadline or even coming back this year. And if there's something out there that you want, those are valuable chips. Finding catchers that can catch every day are valuable. And if you feel that Herrera is a guy that's the number one going forward or it's Kisner, the other one, not to say they're expendable, but you, you maybe feel a little bit more uh, comfortable in saying, look, we could use that as a trade chip and then go out and find that experience backup, which the Cardinals have had pretty good success in doing that because Yachty catches so much. That's one of the things you have to consider. Yeah, and you don't need a ton from your catcher position offensively. So if you just got a guy that's a good framer back there and uh, handles the pitching staff pretty well, you're in a good spot as the backup Uh, He mentioned what they did last year at the end of the season as being a framework for what we could see in 2022 between Kisner and Yachty at the end of last year in the month of September, Dan Yachty started 21 games. Andrew Kisner started 11. Yachty was healthy at that point in time. I mean, nicked up the same way that he is every year at the end of the season, but it's about one in every three games, one out of one game in every series. You would expect to see Andrew Kisner out there. I think that's something you could see next year. Like like he mentioned, you're going to see Yachty out there every time that Wayno's on the mound. I would expect to see a little bit more of Andrew Kisner next year, though. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack. And coming up, we're going to visit with Chris May, the director of athletics at SLU. Another tough game tonight at uh, Chaffetz Arena for St. Louis University as they will play host to Belmont. And you look at some of these teams, you say, well, UAB, Belmont, you got uh, Drake. Well, these are all teams that are predicted to win their conference. So they tried to load up their non-conferences as well as they could and then get into A-10 play and then build up that resume for the NCAA tournament. BK, Danny Mack with you at uh, about 1043 or so here in St. Louis on 101 ESPN. And we welcome in the director of athletics at St. Louis U, and that's Chris May. And uh, Chris, congratulations on a great soccer season. We'll get into hoops here in just a moment, but uh, good morning to you. How are things going? Things are going great, Danny. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, our, both our soccer teams had a great had a great fall and uh, capped off with Kevin Kalish and the men uh, 
you know, going to the going to the Elite Eight. Uh, we lost a tough one Saturday night in Seattle, but uh, couldn't be more proud. You know, we we ended up being the only undefeated team in the country late in the year, and uh, just had a great run. And I was so proud of how our team played, got after it. The community rallied around them, and uh, Kevin Kalish and, and his staff just done an unbelievable job with this young this group of students, and uh, and the guys did a great job. Yeah, um, we went up to we went up to Seattle. It was a dicey conditions, and not one of our team, not one of our coaches, complained for a half a second about the the field or the conditions. They went up there to win and uh, played our hearts out. We just didn't didn't get a couple breaks. Yeah, that's a story for another day. I saw the field. I watched the game, and I didn't quite understand why you'd have an elite eight game with the importance of going to the final four on that type of field. I won't ask you to comment on that. I can make that comment. Uh, You're welcome. Uh, But I will ask you about this. Kevin is also doing this with a lot of St. Louis kids and we've got MLS coming to St. Louis. We've got the Gallagher program. You got Lou Fuse. I mean, there's a lot of great soccer uh, that you have right here and he's doing it with a ton of homegrown kids. He really is Danny. And uh, it's like the perfect storm is starting to brew with soccer in our community. And um, and we are thrilled about it because uh, Kevin, as you know, St. Louis, St. Louis, uh, born and bred, uh, was an All-American for us. Um, you know, had his stint over at SIUE where he helped build that program. Did the Gallagher program, and now is running ours. And, and it's really, as I talked to everybody, he's really building it from the inside out. Just like you said, he's got great local kids who are making huge, you know, huge. Uh, statement about St. Louis soccer. You got, you got Kip Keller, who's just a stud. You got Patrick Schulte. You go on down the line, all these young, really great local regional kids who played out of St. Louis's youths and, and they're the cornerstone of our program. And you- so uh, it's been great on how he's building it and the future. We got great young kids coming from all over the country now that they, they see what's happening in St. Louis and they know about the MLS team that's coming. And so uh, we are really thrilled with the progress uh, and where, where this program's going. How do you continue to capitalize on that, Chris, as you look forward to what this could be here in St. Louis as a soccer city? How, how does that impact what you guys are doing as an athletic department? Well, uh, BK, it's a great question. It, it's how do, you, how do you seize the moment, right? And um, it really started when, when Kevin came. Kevin and Katie Shields, our women's coach, we sat down and go, okay, guys, what do we need? What are the steps that we need to take? And it started with, we need to do some work on the field. So we raised some money and resurfaced the fields. We put it in an artificial uh, surface for a form to train when it's, de- when it's bad out. Then, as, as you may know, right now, we're about ready to open a new facility in Herman Stadium with state-of-the-art technology, locker rooms, uh, uh, training room, recruiting facilities. And then the next phase is the O'Loughlin Family Champion Center. Um, you ask Kevin and Katie, and they'll tell you that with all the facilities coming on board and what we're putting together with these soccer programs, there's no program in the country that will have the, the facilities and the, and the services to really deliver for student-athletes. You walk on our field today, uh, December 7th, there's not a better soccer field than Herman Stadium's field right now than anywhere in the country, including where they'll play the national championship in Cary, North Carolina this week. So we've uh, spent a lot of time going to our community and the soccer community and the alums have been off the charts in supporting our soccer programs. This doesn't happen without an external group that have all stepped up and said, 
St. Louis University soccer is important to us, and they've made major investments to help it. And so um, the key is how do we how do we seize the moment, and we're working real hard to do that right now. Hey, Chris, uh, you were able to get in more games across the board in your athletic department through COVID in the beyond anybody else in the A-10, and it, which is you're to be commended for that. Um, my question is about now transfer portal and granting an extra year for those kids. And do you, I guess we don't know the question or the answer to this question, but do you anticipate that that these kids will exercise and use the fifth year. And for some guys, it's a six year. Um, do you think it, it, it messes up recruiting for high school kids? Because some, whether you're in football, basketball, soccer, whatever, some of these coaches say, well, I, I really don't need to go out and get that high school kid. Cause I've got this kid sticking around for another year. How do you think that all plays out? And, and do we really have a, a handle on that or a good answer for that? Danny, it's, it's a great question and short term, what we know is it's pushing back high school recruiting. Okay. Because um, what's happened is because of the transfer portal, you can end up engaged in recruiting a 20-year-old versus a 17-year-old. You can recruit. uh, And and then what happens is it all gets down to your program and the values and the culture that you have. And if you've got a culture built such that, that you can bring on some young people uh, that fit your culture, then it then it can blossom. Um, what you what you don't do is you take on somebody that can't fit your culture, especially when you're having the success like we're having. Um, but the short term, what's happened is it's made uh, high school recruiting more of a challenge, and it and it puts you in more of a selective role in the high school space. How does it all work itself out? I think in another eighteen months that'll balance itself out, and everybody will understand how the portal's going to. Uh, uh, how, how to use it the best. You know, what's happening is there's way more in any sport. This is, this is across the board, football, basketball, whatever. There's more kids in the portal than there are spaces for young people to go play. Right. And so it's causing a major challenge, especially then when you tack on the additional year of eligibility that everybody got. And so we don't know the end answer. We do know short term what's happening uh, I think it'll all level itself off in another year and a half plus, but right now it's causing, um, especially programs that are in the advancement mode and getting better competitively, what it's doing with those programs, unfortunately, that's the position we're in in many of our programs. It's allowing you to become a little more select, and it's allowing you because what's happening is cross-country, young people are looking at what's going on at SLU, and they want to come. And so it uh, it puts you in a little different conversation all for the better from the position we're in right now. SLU Athletic Director Chris May joining us here on the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. Uh, Chris, you mentioned the extra year of eligibility that kids received last year for the pandemic season. Mm-hmm. How how has that made things more difficult? How does that impact some of the roster management that your teams are having to conduct over the next really few years, much less just the immediacy afterwards? Well, it, it makes it, uh, again, it makes it a real delicate conversation and um like look in the sport of basketball and and i i talk all the time yeah you can add numbers but at the end of the day there's only 200 minutes in a game there's only 200 minutes to get divided amongst five players and so how many do you want to put on a roster when you've only got 200 minutes right and so it makes it a very very uh challenging delicate conversation in all sports, because again, you're just ending up with 
with older. And then you, you throw in, you know, look at baseball right now. You throw in baseball shuts down. Uh, baseball's had some major challenges already where, where COVID shut down uh, the minor league systems. And so the additional year has given people in the pipeline, in, on the sports and on campuses, a huge advantage. Huge advantage and given them major opportunities. And the most important thing is, is it is flat out guaranteed them all the ability to make sure they get a degree. Because at the end of the day, that's what's most important. Um, they all, everybody wants to go play professionally, but the bottom line is that college degree is what really moves them forward uh, in their life. But uh, competitively, what's happened is the, the older um, student-athletes have gotten an advantage by, by the year and by the year of maturity. And I think what you'll see in basketball this season is you're going to see old teams are the ones that are going to really benefit from it. No question. Um, the older, the better. Now, you've got some brilliant young talent that can come along. Uh, it, no different than what uh, what we saw against UAB, right? I mean, there was some, they had some big, older, older players uh, that we ran into the other night, and it ended up being a problem. But um, I think that's what, that's what you're going to see in college basketball this year. Um, as you've seen in past years, older uh, older teams are going to uh, are going to have the success. I believe in the end. Hey, Chris, we got to run. I know you do as well. Thanks for hopping on. I know you're busy. You've done a just a, a heck of a job at SLU, especially with Chaffetz now, uh, the facilities with soccer, the O'Loughlin Center coming, which should make it the preeminent basketball facility, really sports facility uh, in the Midwest. So thank you so much, and tickets still available for Belmont tonight, and uh, I'll see you at Chaffetz tonight. You got it. Thank you, guys. Have a great one. I appreciate it. You got it. That's uh, Chris May, the director of athletics at SLU. This was uh, tweeted out, by the way, last night by Stu Durando, who covers uh, Billiken Sports for the Post. Martin Linson, who came in to Saturday night's game, BK as their second leading scorer, said before practice his family plans to visit at the end of the season from Germany for senior night, saying he won't use his additional year of eligibility at SLU after the season. So, that's big news for them, and I think that you're going to see that with some of the players that say, I've had my run, I've been around, I, I, my body's beat up, and I'm not going to play pro, or in this case, maybe Martin wants to play overseas in Germany. You could, you know, he could go make a good paycheck overseas. Right. You can make a really good living playing in Germany or France. Like There are a lot of really good leagues over in Europe. So maybe he's thinking along those lines, but it, that is the fascinating part of just you know where does it go? Like, for instance high school signing period for football is next Wednesday. And there's like five guys that I know for sure that are committed and they're going to sign. It'll be on Wednesday. It's going to be a done deal. Luther Burden will be one of those. You know what I mean? They're going to have all that stuff coming out. I think it's next Wednesday. Is that Mm -hmm. right? But there's a lot of kids that normally in a prior to COVID that would be signing, going somewhere else and maybe not getting recruited to where they thought they might be because these coaches have these veterans sticking around and they're going to play. Yeah, and it makes everything more difficult. It's the transfer portal. It's the recruiting on the high school level. It's the extra year of eligibility. And Dan, like Chris May is not going to say this, but I will. The NCAA messed this up. If they would have just allowed those seniors who lost out some of them on either a portion or the entirety of their senior year last year, give them that extra year of eligibility. And everybody else, we continue moving forward the same way that you typically would. You still had a redshirt year available last year. It's not as if that didn't happen. And for most of these kids, especially on football and the basketball side of things, 
you played the vast majority of your season. So I just, I will, I didn't understand it at the time. I continue to be baffled by it now. You did not need to give every kid the extra year of eligibility. And it has really messed up some opportunities for younger kids and for some of these transfers that are looking around right now saying, okay, where do I go? There just aren't roster spots available. So it's, it's a really tough spot to be in right now. They could have a situation at SLU where Fred Thatch and Gibson, Jimerson, two very good players, Jimerson leading the team in scoring could play six years at SLU. Mm-hmm. Six years, you know, because they had the medical red shirt that was included in there. Then they got the COVID year. I mean, there you go. There's your four years eligibility, medical red shirt, five extra COVID year, six. I mean, look at Mizzou. It it didn't end up working out the way that I know many had hoped, but Connor Basilek was still technically a freshman this year. Right. He had a red shirt year in 2019. He was a red shirt freshman last year, but because of the COVID year, it basically didn't count. So this season was still a freshman season for Connor Basilek, who was on his third year on campus this year. Uh, if he was great this year, that would have been excellent for Mizzou. He wasn't, so now you got to figure out the quarterback position.